Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Thursday. It is January the 25th, and we are going to talk about bombs. Yeah. Hopefully we drop a couple of bombs on you as well. If you are joining us live on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin, make sure you're giving us a like, giving us a thumbs up. There it is. There's the icon. You guys know what to do. Make sure that happens. All right. A couple of exciting things. Number one, we have finalized the Easter egg hunt in the background. If you guys want to start guessing, you can put them in the comments below. If you are listening on our audio right now, you're going, I don't even know what you're talking about. Join us on Rumble. That's where to do it. If you guys are joining us on X, really appreciate it. We're also streaming to GOB Actuals. We're going to be bringing Garrett O'Boyle on in just one moment. As as you guys can tell, I am fully ramped up today. I got up and I've been thinking about this all night. My neck actually hurts from the stress of like being just riled up about all this nonsense that has been going on. We had a really interesting drop yesterday. We had Thomas Massey, the the congressman who was involved in doing some of the weaponization discussions. He was doing some of the interviews, including an interview of a guy named Steve D'Antuano. Steve D'Antuano was the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office on January 6th. He also was the special agent in charge of the Detroit field office when they went after the Whitmer kidnappers. So that's a lot. That's an interesting character in the world that we should know a little bit more about. And we're going to do all of that. I'm pretty amped up. Yes, you guys are correct. I see you guys in the chat. You guys see already. Um, Let's do uh, a quick thank you to my friends over at Patriot Coolers. They are the ones that are um, siphoning this coffee directly into my veins. And I promised you guys that I would take a picture. And I kept thinking about it. And just before we went live, boom, I threw it on here. Check this out. You guys can go to PatriotCoolers.com. Use promo code Kyle. You can go to their social media, which is at Patriot Coolers. They're both on True Social and on X, Twitter. And right up in the top corner over there, I think it's this way. If you guys look in the corner, that is my minivan picture. That is the Patriot Cooler that we roll around with. It is the tan version of the 50 quart. I fill it with groceries all the time. It keeps the milk cold. It keeps the orange juice cold. It keeps the butter and all the other things. Uh, sometimes we put, uh, what, like tortillas and stuff in there that we buy that are like the, the ones that are in the refrigerator section. Yeah, you throw them all in there, you slap it down, you still got room on top. Great for Costco trips, great for grocery store trips, and uh, a really handsome-looking thing. When people see you in there, they're like, oh, that guy's figured it out. Get more use out of your cooler and get one that says Patriot. That's the way to do it. So, folks, PatriotCoolers.com. Again, PatriotCoolers.com. Promo code Kyle saves you 10%. Four letters, 10% off. 50 bucks or more is free shipping. That means you're going to get 50 bucks, or you're going to get free shipping on all the, uh, the the big hard-sided stuff and even the soft-sided one that you see in their little tailgate-ready piece. We've said it many times. Okay, so let's get riled up. Uh, GOB Actual, do you want to unmute, and are you with me? I'm here. I am here, I think. You are here. Okay, why are we both wearing red shirts today? Uh, it's our own day of rage, as it were. I mean... Perhaps, maybe. We're a little fired up. I'm drinking my coffee black this morning for all the black pills that I hope to feed the audience. No, no, we no. Go. We're not feeding black pills. Actually, I'm gonna actually turn this on its head right now, uh, GOB. We're gonna we're gonna flip it around. So I wanna start with some historical context. You didn't know I was gonna do this, so I'm dropping this on you for the first time 
right now. But we are wearing red. Let's call it La Passion. It's the, <laughs> the red of passion about what we are doing right now. Um, I'm wearing the, I don't even know what shirt this is. I think this is the PT shirt. Does that make sense? PT shirt probably. Oh, I think that's a, oh, yeah, it's a special edition <laughs> one-off. That's a, a... <laughs> okay, I've got a special edition uh, badge-only red shirt from the merch store, the-suspendables.com. We're letting Garrett out of the sweatshop just for a little bit to do this interview. Let's start with, we're doing nothing but white pills today. We're dropping hope. You ready? I like that. Okay, good enough. Let's start right here. Ladies and gentlemen, right here is a picture that my friend Alpha Warrior put up on Twitter. I'm going to be sharing a little bit of this info with you. This one is a historical letter written by a man named William Barrett Travis. And he was the commander of the forces at the Alamo in Texas. Before Texas was Texas America, it was just Texas, Texas. In 1836, in February of 1836, and he wrote this letter that you're seeing on the on the uh, on the screen to the peoples of Texas and all Americans in the world. Now, this is particularly relevant on a day when we see that Greg Abbott has finally kind of stepped into the role and said, hey, someone's going to have to kick the ass of this stupid federal government that continues to overreach. And this is a reminder that Texas used to be made of some really strong people. And I hope that we continue to do that. Uh, Fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana, and I have sustained continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion, otherwise the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. And I have answered the demand with a cannon shot, and our flag still waves proudly from the walls. I shall never surrender or retreat. And then I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism, and everything dear in the American character to come to our aid with dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or 4,000 in four to five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due his own honor and that of his country, victory or death. And then he says, P.S. The Lord is on our side. When the enemy appeared in sight, we had not three bushels of corn. And since we have found in deserted houses 80 or 90 more bushels and gotten into the walls 20 or 30 heads of beefs. So he's got cattle. He's got things that can uh, sustain him. Uh, we know they didn't live through that encounter. But the eventual victory was theirs. Right? I love it. I love that type of history. And while you were reading that, it, it reminded me of... A letter that I'm very fond of from World War II. It comes from General McAuliffe. He was over the 101st Airborne, which, as you see behind me, there's a 101st Airborne uh, plaque and, you know, whatever. But um, the Germans asked them to surrender and said, do so within two hours. And the response he sent was nuts, like not going to happen. And this, both of these examples, the one you read, the one I just mentioned, they're quintessential examples of the American spirit. We are fighters. We endure even in the face of extreme odds. Perhaps even when we know we aren't going to win, we're going to have the mentality of God, country, and my fellow man, even if that means there's none of us left standing. So that's awesome that you shared that from Alpha. That's cool that he posted that up there. It's a, I think it's a great way to, to start the day. It, it is for me because it, already is uh, a glimmer of hope like oh yeah we have 
we have this fighting enduring spirit and uh let's let's get after it i'm not done with these yet we're gonna drop another one you ready i'm ready all right good enough how about this one also historical context moving forward you just did we've done the uh the uh the war in texas for texas independence we just talked about world war ii let's go on to korea here we go kaboom some of you may be marines in our audience and you know a little bit about chesty polar in fact you probably said good night to him every night while in basic training this is a little piece that i found on a war archive website um it is known as let's see what it's called here it's called the it's called warhistoryonline.com and on the screen you're seeing a couple pictures of chesty polar one where he's standing with a pipe and a uh, k-pot on his head or he's wearing one of those steel uh steel helmets and it's unbuckled he's got a he's got a satchel and he looks like john wayne and it says the enemy have us surrounded they won't get away this time Chesty Polar, American hero in many ways. He's a, he's a Marine Corps hero, but he's an American hero. There's another picture of him you see on the screen where he is shirtless and he is uh, shaking hands with an admiral. Uh, apparently, some of those quotes come from Korea. There's a lot of sort of uh, apocryphal language around what he may have said. You know, the enemy have us surrounded. They won't get away this time, or we've got them right where we want them, things like that. He was awarded the Navy Cross for bravery, just below the Medal of Honor. Uh Lots, lots of wonderful chesty polar stories. But I think that those have a lot of relevance to the way that we're looking at the world right now because they have definitely got us surrounded, GOB. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think, I, I, well, for one, uh, I'm a veteran, you're a veteran. So I think some of these these stories from our the military history of our nation really, really stand out. I know they do for me. And I've heard it said before that war is life amplified and intensified and in my experience that is 100 percent true i think of some of the things i've done and seen while i was in the military and how that really is just an intense ampl amplification of anybody's life we all go through trials and tribulations through our life we all go through times where we think we can't overcome the odds or that we're not going to make it out alive and I think in, in a lot of ways, we without even sounding too hyperbolic, I think we're at that type of point as a nation right now. Like, yeah, sure, you know, we're not getting, you know, RPG raining down on us from the Taliban like I was in Afghanistan. But in a lot of ways, we're getting RPGs rained down on us from our own government. I mean, look at the southern border. Look at the things we talk about all the time regarding the FBI. Uh, it's it's it really is a crucible a, a war like crucible that that we're in and i think one of the one of the white pill moments of this is that more and more people are starting to see it and starting to say hey wait a second what what's going on in the land of the free that that's it's not supposed to be this way it is not and yet uh it is and that the fact that they've got us surrounded means every time we take a shot we're going to hit something would you agree I would agree. And these days, it's really not that hard. I mean, so, you could just pick up a handful of rocks and throw them behind your head and you're going to hit all sorts of targets. That's right. OK, so, folks, we're about to throw some rocks. Let's check this one out. Ready? This just came in. I got it sent to me. Yes, by another FBI agent, a friend of mine. Uh, kaboom. Here you are. DEI hires pushing into the FBI are putting the country's safety at risk for the sake of being, quote unquote, woke, written by the wonderful and lovely Miranda Devine published yesterday uh, in the evening, uh, almost 11 o'clock Eastern time yesterday. So let's talk about what's going on there. Garrett just said it. 
If, if we toss these things out, we can throw rocks in all directions. We're going to hit evil. A lot of that evil is coming from our federal law enforcement. An alarming deterioration in recruitment standards for the FBI has been exposed in a report delivered to the House Judiciary Committee by an alliance of retired and active duty agents and analysts. The DEI requirements pushed by Chris Ray have degraded recruitment standards in all area, including physical fitness, illicit drug use, financial irregularities, mental health, full-time work experience, and integrity. And they pose a threat to the FBI's ability to protect Americans from harm, say the authors. The report cites, new agents are so fat and unfit they cannot even pass the newly relaxed physical fitness standards. Some are illiterate and are in need of remedial English lessons. They don't want to work weekdays or after hours or weekends or after hours. Or they have serious disabilities or mental health issues and quote unquote create drama for its own sake. The FBI is no longer recruiting the best and the brightest to be special agents, but selecting candidates based on race, gender, and or sexual orientation. This is an alliance of anonymous FBI reformers, including former senior executives and agents. I guarantee you we know some of them. Garrett and I have probably talked to some of these folks. Uh, they are in from branches like counterintelligence and counterterrorism who want to warn that today's FBI lacks the fortitude and the skills warranted to defeat the so-called existential threats. If the current trajectory, this is a direct quote, if the current trajectory of FBI special agent recruitment and selection continues using DEI as the primary and sole measure, our homeland security efforts will be significantly hampered. That's a pretty sober way of saying such a thing. How about that? Uh, fewer people are applying. We're seeing that recruitment has become so-called self-destructive and is setting up the FBI for a generational failure. Another FBI former agent who helped draft it said, why are we funding an FBI new headquarters if you're hiring second-rate people? There's a couple of great examples. They basically quote this like a, like a source document. Um, a current supervisor, Sierra 72, says the, they disqualified a black female applicant because she was more than 50 pounds overweight using the FBI's body fat index and could not pass the physical fitness standards. But headquarters ordered Sierra 72 to push the candidate through the recruitment process. Another said they had a candidate that was pushed through that simply quit in the middle of the one-and-a-half-mile run, which is not very long, another agent who was a recruitment coordinator known as Sierra 87 said the drug policy for the new agents has been so liberalized to include applicants who had a lifestyle of habitually using drugs. And uh, another candidate who was arrested and fought with police officers was not disqualified. <laughs> the candidates are not... Uh, nor are the candidates disqualified when they have driving under the influence convictions or documented mental illness. Now, I have some issues with what they're calling mental illness. We don't necessarily know, but that seems like a problem. They said they've got another applicant who was pushed forward uh, and was disqualified initially because of work experience, only including two years as a coffee shop barista and having a bachelor's degree in art history. The FBI headquarters ordered a special agent to push that application packet through. Another agent with uh, four years in counterterrorism. Observe that the new agents disappear during the day, go home early, never want to work late for after hours operations, does not, they cannot be trusted with the agents for their life uh, because they have questionable competence in tactical abilities and work ethic. It goes on and on. It's in my Twitter timeline, folks. I don't want to belabor this any further. We know what we're talking about here. Garrett, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, well, for one, uh, I love Miranda. This is, of course, great FBI reporting that she so often does and, and brings out to the, to the forefront, uh, that article, it sounds even worse than we know it to be, because I think of my time in the FBI or even after you hear, you know, one example, and then maybe a few weeks later, or a few months later, you hear another, when she lists them off like that, it's like, Oh yeah, all of this is happening simultaneously. Um, just this morning, one of our former colleagues I was texting with, and they told me that uh, 
new agents in their field office are being assigned to domestic terrorism, basically carte blanche and being assigned January 6th cases. And this former colleague, this is something we've probably talked about before, believes that it's happening because they simply will just do what they're told. And it's like, yeah, you're precisely right. That is exactly why. And then, man, I don't even know which example to pull from, from what you read from Miranda. There's so many. Um, The the guy who fought with the cop, they probably want to hire that guy because they want FBI Gestapo-type thugs who, if the police are saying, hey, that maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe that's a Fourth Amendment violation. Uh, they want the FBI just to stampede through and just do what they want anyways. And then the other one that stood out is this person with the art major who was a barista. The, I had a I had a I had a guardian that I took in. It was an elderly victim. Okay, hold on. So was, a guardian, an e-guardian is a lead that comes in. It, it uh, usually comes in from the headquarters division at counterterrorism. And it's a, a system where people can basically report problems to the FBI. And then we look into them or don't. And so Garrett got one of these leads. Go ahead. Yeah. And so, you know, she was she was scammed out of, I don't know, I don't remember, thirty, fifty thousand dollars all all of her life savings. You know, her, she's a widow, widower. Her husband's dead. And it's a small town in Kansas. I get contacted by a, a lieutenant who really did a good job investigating it and giving me like tons of already connected dots to start from. Mm-hmm. Well, I just start looking in FinCEN. I, I start piecing this together. Turns out a lot of the perpetrators are college students in Louisiana. And like, I get this thing all, all packaged up. I send it off to Louisiana. I get contacted by this agent down there, basically saying we're not going to do anything about it. And he ended up going and uh, basically tipping his hand. So one of the main perpetrators ended up fleeing and going back to Ivory Coast or wherever he was from. Uh, and then, it, dude, it's just it's it, almost and like then Trump I find was out. sort of right when he says they're not always sending their best. We definitely have some shady people coming in. That's not to say that people who come here legally are a problem, but. There's a lot of illegal and people who come here with nefarious intent because America is a land of tolerance. And um, there's less of that, you know, victory or death attitude, although we might start getting there again. <laughs> yeah, we might. And so anyways, and I'll wrap this up. This guy, I find out because I checked, I kept checking in on it every couple of weeks, every couple of months when this lieutenant would ask what the status was, because like this was one where it's like, this is a slam dunk. Like you have this turns out the local parish or i don't know what they call them it's a parish i I don't know if it's it's a sheriff's office in louisiana yep they end up doing like a search warrant but like a lot of the evidence is already gone because the fbi tipped their hand and then i find out that this agent never like ended up taking care of the case he ended up going on a headquarters tdy to the fbi's art crime units or whatever it is and it's like why does the fbi even have that for one and so it's like this guy's whole his whole plan all along was to get to this art unit and go and like ride out the rest of his career working on art cases, I guess. Dude, I, I remember guys coming out of my academy class that got assigned to an art thing, maybe in Miami, and they were miserable because they were criminal investigators and they were pissed off. And TACP just asked if I said every illegal is not a problem. No, the illegals are a problem. I'm saying that people that come here legally sometimes also come here for with nefarious intent. They get a, uh, you know, like a work visa or they stay over or they do other things. There's all kinds of shady people that come to the United States because we're a land of milk and honey. Uh, and and many people want to just take that milk and honey and run with it. So for whatever that's worth. Okay, uh, let me do a uh, sponsor read, and uh, and then after that we've got another shot, which was brought up yesterday in the uh, the chat, but I was uh, kind of holding on to it for a little bit. Let me uh, you know we're talking about bad things happening in the world. We're talking about all kinds of chaos. Let's talk about uh, what you can do to hedge against possible uncertainty, and there you can do it there by going to four patriots, the number four patriots.com. 
The promo code is Kyle. You can go to 4Patriots.com slash Kyle if you don't like typing in promo codes. If you only have one good typing string in front of you, do 4Patriots.com slash Kyle. And what are you going to find? You're going to find options for continuity of comms. You're going to find all kinds of interesting gadgets and gizmos for survival. You can start fires. Uh, I don't know why my life, my wife loves fire starters, by the way. I can always buy my wife like flints and I can buy her like lighters and she would really be into it. But, you know, she doesn't smoke. She used to when she was younger. Oops. Um, Find yourself some emergency food. Find yourself ways to stay warm. Find yourself ways to keep your comms lit up and maybe even your major appliances going. They've got a uh, an option for a solar generator. Looks really neat. At some point, maybe they'll send me one. What do you guys think? They'll probably have to pay me for another month or two and then maybe send it. Anyhow, go to four, the number four, patriots.com slash Kyle. Get yourself prepped up. Don't make yourself the person who's on the street that's a liability or a charity case. Look ahead. Plan to succeed. Don't fail to prepare and be one of those people who is basically planning to fail. All right. So we're going to keep moving forward with another one of these little fun games. Let's take another shot across the bow. Look at this one right here. GOB, you may have seen this as well. Libs of TikTok creator, who obviously is an extreme right-wing extremist. Extreme, extreme, extreme. Libs of TikTok creator inspiring school bomb threats. Look at the way that NBC covers this stuff, folks. Um, has been named to the Oklahoma Library Board. Well, Oklahoma just said that they're throwing their lot in with Texas. They have declared a state of emergency. They are they are um, going to be Texas adjacent, both physically and politically, on this border situation. And they've also done this little move where what's it? her name is uh, Chaya, and her I think her last name is pronounced Radchick, but she uh, she pissed off a bunch of people on the left by saying things that were true, like hey, maybe don't put pornography into school systems. And then now she's been named an advisor to the state education department's library committee. Simply a straight up, uh, what does Dan call it? The double-barreled uh, family-friendly middle finger. He's, she's just sending it to these people. And now Oklahoma is participating in it as well. They refer to her as a far-right influencer. God, I hate that term, influencer. Um, but she basically only takes people's words, puts them back into circulation, says, oh, you want to go ahead and publish what a weird tranny, you know, uh, rainbow-haired moron you are, and you teach kindergarten? Maybe people who are having kids in kindergarten should know about this. So that's all she does. She just boosts the signal of loonies. Uh, but what do they say? They said that she's on the front lines. This is uh, the Oklahoma state superintendent said she's on the front lines, showing the world exactly what the radical left is all about, about lowering standards, just like we talked about in the FBI, pornography in schools and pushing woke indoctrination on our kids. And those kids actually end up working for the FBI, some of them. So there you go. Uh, because of her work, families across the country know exactly what's going on in schools, even if it's hyperbolic versions of that. You should know what the worst looks like so you can at least compare it against what you have going on. Uh, and of course, NBC taking a political stand, saying that she generally singles out LGBTQ people. <laughs> I like the LGBTQ people. Uh, I don't know why they came up with writing it that way. Drag queens and their employers and criticize them for promoting diversity, inclusion, and equity. Uh, G.O.B., what do you think? Unfair or good? <laughs> Always unfair from the likes of so MSNBC. I mean, it's like, I, I think of... One of these one of these recent tweets that I saw from from Libs of TikTok, it was a screenshot of a Snapchat of one of these LGBTQ people um, who was a teacher in the government indoctrination camps that we call public schools, and she's got like LGBTQ stuff going on, and it's like a selfie, and it says like daily. It was something like daily, like brainwashing children to believe you know to be lgbtq or whatever and it's like oh so like you people not only are you at a point in our culture where you 
readily admit it, you are actively saying, yes, we are brainwashing them on purpose and there's nothing you can do about it. It's like those scumbags that were marching through New York that were like, we're coming for your children. We're here. We're queer. We're coming for your kids. Mm -hmm. It's like, guess what? Yep. Uh, you can come for my kids. But first of all, they're safely being educated and indoctrinated in Christian values at my own house. And uh, we're also teaching them how to handle firearms safely. So knock yourselves out, you creeps. But Which makes you the far right wing extremist. Christian extremist white supremacist influencer and it's Christian like, nationalist uh, a hole. Yeah. Right? It's like, okay, our our words have lost all meaning at this point. I'm for it though. I, I quoted myself as a far right podcaster per uh what uh the 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 implications of media matters, which covered us uh, I've been on I've been yeah. covered by Media Matters twice now, which means that oh boy. I'm on the radar, which also probably yep. is gonna segue nicely into what uh we got going on. Okay, let's start with a little story here from Daily Wire. We're going to get into the weirdness. Let me actually find it on the screen. So bear with me one second, folks. Daily Wire story is number 12. Okay, so this is uh, Luke Rosiak. He just he reached out to me yesterday. I'll probably be talking to him. Uh, here it is. The FBI said that they were, quote unquote, pipe bombs on January 6th. Evident points to a cover up, Congressman says. That Congressman is Thomas Massey. Okay, so if there were indeed two operable pipe bombs, that would be the single biggest threat. That existed on January 6th. That's what the congressman said. He is not wrong. The Democrats have strained to make the case that January 6th, 2021 was a violent insurrection. God, I love that word. Uh, even resorting to false claims as uh, that police officers were murdered to make their cause. We know that's the case. We know that FBI officials went in with that. Uh, they've gone out of their way to avoid one incident that would seemingly best make their point. The two purported pipe bombs outside the DNC and the RNC, now a Republican lawmaker who spent thousands of hours viewing reviewing video footage. He's gone over the footage. He's got his aides doing it. He's been working, Steve Baker as well, um, you know, getting this information and other evidence from January 6th, alleged that the bombs may have been planted with the involvement of law enforcement. That's a pretty interesting thing. He also believes the Democrats may have backed off from the incidents for fear that the truth would be discovered. A good article worth your time. Go through Daily Wire. This was actually published on the 22nd. This is in relation to what happened uh, with the releases that Steve Baker is doing. Also, if you're not following Steve Baker, I highly encourage you to do that. Follow Steve Baker today. It's TPC, the number four USA. That's Tango Papa Charlie, number four USA. Follow Steve Baker because he's got a release that's coming out from The Blaze. He's doing a press conference this afternoon. And I'm going to be on Dan Bongino's radio show. So if you guys are hearing this early enough in the day or you're watching us live like many of you are, then you guys can actually find me on Bongino's at 2 p.m. Eastern time for that block of the show. Um, I look forward to talking to Dan about this. We're going to mix it up. I bet you that we don't think the same thing, but I bet you we think some really close things. Um, Garrett, what's the biggest single threat that happened to democracy on January 6th, if you had to guess? It would be the pipe bombs if they were legitimate, but I don't let's, think they let's, were. Let's talk about the word legitimate. What do you take that to mean? You were in the army. You were in the infantry. You know stuff. You were a cop. What's a legitimate bomb to you? To me, it is an actual bad actor with the requisite skills, knowledge, and components to build a working bomb and then to plant it, one at the DNC and one at the RNC. But this is where the rails really fall off in so many ways. Like we probably don't even have enough time to cover all of the ways in which this is doesn't seem legitimate. It's planted in plain view. It's got a kitchen timer from 1985 on it that you know you can set for an hour, and it it, pl it was planted the night before. One hour, and what, one hour time. Come on, one hour timers can go for 17 hours. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it and it's like, it, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. I know we're going to unpack some of it here, but th for me, that's legitimate. That's viable. Is there an actual explosive component in the, the alleged bomb? 
All right. And if the answer is no, then this not, is a cover-up. Then it's not viable. Okay, a couple things. Folks, if you're just joining us right now, make sure that you are giving us the thumbs up here on uh, Rumble.com. We are talking to Garrett O'Boyle. He was my dear friend. He runs the FBI. Uh, I'm sorry. He runs the Suspendable Sweatshop at the-suspendables.com. He's testified in front of Congress. He is a former infantryman and a police officer and an FBI agent and a SWAT guy and a counterterrorism agent. He's seen all of this kind of stuff with me, and he is one of the people that called it out. Uh, Garrett, I think that what you're trying to do is you're trying to mess with women in America. And if I don't play this again, I'm going to be really sad for myself. So we're going to run <laughs> this just to get us started on the clownery. And then I've got some real fun stuff. So do stick around, folks. And if you're not sharing this already, you should definitely share this show while we're doing it live because we're about to drop some bombs on you. Here we go. Uh, first, let's hear what the president has to say. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. All right, we're going to get the benefit, whatever the hell that is. We're going to get the benefit. <laughs> okay. You, you know what I'm saying. The thing, right? The thing. Yes. Okay. Anyways. So the first start here, oh, let me not lose it. Okay, so we've, we're going to talk about this guy, Steve D'Antuano. I'm looking over on the screen to pull him up. Let's bring up the bio of the gentleman who's going to be discussed. Here he is. And, and we'll tell you why in just a second. Steve D'Antuano, as I mentioned at the outset, was the assistant director in charge as the top guy at the Washington field office for the FBI on January 6th. He was also the top guy in a smaller office in Detroit that actually ran the witch, the Whitmer fednapping case. Let's be real clear about what he is and what he's not. When you are the SAC, the special agent in charge, when you are the ADIC, which, yes, it, that's how we pronounce it, A-D-I-C, ADIC, when you're the ADIC of the Washington field office, the odds of you knowing what's going on in every single case is extremely low. You will not know all the cases. But what you will know is the things that require major widespread arrest operations. If you're going to bring in multiple SWAT teams from all over the place, you're going to have to be able to uh, at least articulate why you're signing off on the resources that you're spending. You should probably know when you're asking people to come across the uh, the country to go do this operation. So Steve D'Antuano is currently a partner at KPMG. It's an extremely large accounting firm, and he is working in their forensic advisory services practice. Now, he is a partner there, which means he's supposed to be bringing in clients. And what we're told, because, yeah, we know people everywhere, especially in D.C., we're being told that Steve D'Antuano can't even cover his own salary, which is part of the gig you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bring in. You're supposed to be a net benefit to the company. They're not supposed to be like a, a leech that suckles at the teat of another uh, group. And I don't think that private industry takes it the same way that the government does. So Steve D'Antuano apparently not pulling his weight over there. He began as a CPA uh, with the FBI as a forensic accountant. So yet another person recruited in under a non-agent type thing. He started off his career working for the FBI. He was promoted to special agent shortly thereafter, began working financial crimes and public corruptions. With his 26 years in the FBI, he held several high-ranking positions, including uh, some of the most high-profile cases in the FBI's history. I would also argue probably some of the most embarrassing cases of the FBI's history. He spent two years working with the financial crimes section chief job, which is a GS-15 job at the FBI headquarters. Uh, he oversaw the entire portfolio of white collar crimes. He built a robust public private partnership. We just know that's just a sort of a way that you get yourself into a nice job later, including domestic and foreign institutions, financial services industry, retail banks, blah, 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 blah. During his tenure at the FBI, he developed expertise in financial crimes and white collar. He was an instructor at the academy, the renowned FBI Academy at Quantico. He also uh, honed his expertise, BSA, AML, I don't know what that is, became a subject matter expert, testifying several times for the Senate's Banking Committee and the Finance Committee. I'm going to ask you real quickly, DOB, did you hear anything about counterterrorism in there? Does he seem that he's like right guy to go after all these big counterterrorism cases? Didn't hear it. 
didn't see it, but uh, hey, it sounds like he's a banking expert and whatever this, whatever it is he did in his entire career coming out of the prestigious Quantico Academy. I mean, like even the way they write these things makes me want to throw up in my mouth. But um, yeah, the, it's a misnomer when you see stuff like this, the ADIC, the SAC, the director being like intimately involved in, you know, 17 highly classified terrorism cases. They're not. They may be in on a brief occasionally, but typically like, what do you speaking, need? you need money for a UC op. No, we're not doing a UC op this time. Oh, we yeah. need a UC and op. Okay. We're going to do a UC op. I just found out I'm not green on that metric. We need a gold yes. star. So let's do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, let me check, let me check my, uh, my TRP real quick and, and see how many UCE ops we need and Checks, see if we notes, have the funding. Shy one. Yes. Let's go ahead and do some entrapment cases. Let's run them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, another autistic teenager. Let's sign up because that's an easy slam dunk. Uh, where we can get a UCE, a CHS, an OCE, maybe multiple of all of those involved. And, you know, let's let's move this kid towards white militia extremism or uh, jihadi, you know, Islamic terrorism. Do, like do a, either do one a, we'll take. Do a skin color check and we'll decide what flavor of terrorism we're going to push him towards. OK, <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Um, let's throw this on the screen. This is what we got started about. This happened yesterday. This was dropped on us. So ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen this already, and that means you're not following the, the Twitter verse, which is probably not the worst thing in the world for you. Um, but I will encourage you to do so. This is Tom Massey. He says, this is a J six pipe bomb thread. I actually like it when congressmen kind of get into the thread game. Uh, so here it is. J6 pipe bomb thread on 6723. The House Judiciary Committee interviewed Steve D'Antuano. You're seeing the cover sheet for that transcripted interview. Garrett Boyle did one of those interviews, so he can talk a little bit about what that looks like, what the feeling is. We're going to kind of get into that piece. What he said is during most of the interview, the topics were covered, such as the warrant served at Mar-a-Lago, but I also asked questions about the J6 pipe bomb. Interestingly enough, uh, the raid at Mar-a-Lago was conducted by FBI agents who were, in fact, from the Washington field office. So the same squad... And I think Massey probably didn't know this, but the same squad that actually was doing work on the pipe bomber, whether that was the K squad or they were just, you know, part of the, the, the K squad, like a task force was CI 14 counterintelligence 14, the Russian espionage squad that I used to work three squads over from. It was a uh, CI 14. And then there was like CI 20. I don't remember, but it was the, the North Korean squad or the Korean squad. Then after that was an embassy squad that worked the Chinese, CI-7, and then me, CI-21. So that's that's the order that was on the floor. I'm just telling you guys this because I worked with these people every day for two years straight. And that's not a long time, but that's, you know, it's 700 days. It's like 700 days. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is this is the thing, too, that people don't understand. And, and you'll get this and, and my academy it, classmates it, were in that squad, by the way, CI-14. So they serve well, the, they serve the search warrant at Miralago. Then somehow they're working on the pipe bomber case. A lot of people are going to look at that and go, "What does that even mean?" I don't know what it means, but feel free. That is curious because why is a CI squad working on a quote unquote domestic terrorism? Right. Uh, that's that is that is curious for sure. But um, part of the institutional knowledge part, and you'll get it anywhere. You know, like whoever the, the guy who watches the most NFL in a season he doesn't understand the intricate workings of like a team inside the locker room or practice it's the same at any any place and in the fbi whether you're on the squad or not if you're on the floor like you end up you know knowing these people and you do help out on their arrests or their ops or whatever or then you find yourself in some specialty unit where it's got people from all sorts of different squads and you learn about different cases and you learn about different things going on in the office and when it's a major case in your office and in this 
in this instance, think about this. This is a major case in the entire country. Like, you know, you FBI know what else, agents, huh? You know what else they had on that squad? Let's hear it. They had the Snowden case. Wow, look at that. Wow, the Snowden the case squad. was symbolized by this monkey. It was like a, a toy ship, okay? <laughs> and it was a toy ship with some of those red, like, hanging monkey uh, things, the barrel of monkeys, right? Yep, yep. Because it was a shit show. It was always a shit show. It was like a barrel of monkeys. It wasn't fun, but you just got stuck. There's like monkeys running the ship. And they would literally, whoever had that case, whether it was like the most senior agent and then that guy would move on or something, they would hand it off to somebody more junior. And they would literally put the monkey ship on their desk over there Makes sense. to let people know like, oh, you've got the Snowden case. Like, oh, you know, it was never going to go anywhere. Like he's not coming back to the US. But for whatever it's right. worth, this squad is not a bullshit squad. This is like one of the real operational squads doing counterintelligence in theory. I've conducted right. arrests with them. We actually grabbed somebody that was a spy out of the State Department. Um, maybe it was, a, I don't know why they were working with that, actually, now that I think about it. Anyway, for whatever reason, there was another uh, Chinese um, espionage squad right next to them. But for whatever reason, this is a serious squad of people that were doing work that theoretically matters. I mean, the Russians are a geopolitical foe. They're not what they we act like they are. But yeah, you know what's going on in those squads because you're walking by there on the way to lunch. You're sitting in the break room with these people. Washington Field's a much bigger area than you were working out of. But that being said, you know how... It is. You're, you're on the floor with these people. You see them every single day. You're riding the elevators up to work, et cetera, et cetera. All I'm saying is I don't know why they were the ones because we actually do have manhunting squads. They actually had criminal squads that interface directly with the United States Marshals that all they did was find people. Using I mean, think of that. So that is what makes sense here. You've got this alleged potential, you know, if one of these bombs would have exploded, which, again, I, okay. I won't get into why I, all of the reasons yet, why I don't think it never would have, but this would, this is like McVeigh level. We got to find this guy because it's outside of the two polit main political parties in the country. Like, yeah, it's not an Oklahoma city type with the casualties and everything, but it's, uh, we're being told it's pipe bombs, viable pipe bombs outside of the DNC which, and the RNC, which the FBI considers a weapon of mass destruction for whatever exactly. that's worth. They consider right. that to be a WMD. That's buzzword. That's funding. That's big time. That's the that's the like the holy grail. Consider this too. Were you you were working for the FBI when they had the uh, the Austin bomber who was sending things through FedEx? Correct. Uh, I don't know if I was, but even if I wasn't, I I, I think I had it was a, like a, I think it was like briefing by the twenty nineteen. I think it was twenty nineteen. E, then yes, but uh, the case agent on that case, because I one of the other hats I wore was a uh, assistant WMD coordinator, and so I went to a bunch of extra additional trainings and all that. And the case agent on that case was was at some of those, and he gave a very thorough case brief on that case. So I'm well aware of it, maybe even more than than most people. But um, anyways, I f I forget what I was going to say, but. But bombs are the single most terroristic act that happened on that day. That's the number one thing. That's the thing Absolutely, that yeah. we have to we have to know that that's the case. Okay, so that's part one. Part two is you've got a non-bomb type squad, a non-criminal investigator and a non-CT squad that was apparently working on this. That's really weird. Uh, I want to dig into exactly what came out of this transcript because that's where it's going to get fun, at least for me. So let's throw some stuff on here. Why? Because they they actually dropped my name into this this interview, which I didn't know until yesterday. And uh, maybe some of you guys knew this, but I didn't. It's all news to me. So here we go. Uh, here it is. Uh, and I got to pull the, the actual thread up. So Steve D'Antuano uh, was apparently asked, uh, uh, if I remember the picture of the kitchen timer, I think it was 60 minutes. It was rudimentary at best. And Massey says, are you aware that former agent Kyle Serafin, that he talked with the technicians working in the office and said that they were not viable, that they couldn't have been exploded? And Mr. D'Antuano says this. We're directly quoting. So I've seen the report from Mr. Serafin. First of all, why in the hell has he seen the report from me? 
We're going to talk and about that at long. I want, but I want to know too. Why is he calling it a report? Like you, like, yeah. like you typed up a three hundred two, and here's my report on the pipe bomber. Okay, I've seen the report from Mr. Seraphin. I won't dash dash. I'm not going to discount Kyle's view. He doesn't know me. Why is he calling me Kyle? Um, that's his view from where he sits and the people he talked to. I don't know who he talked to. All I know is that we at the Washington field office received a report from the laboratory division, which are the bomb experts. I don't know what Kyle's expertise in bomb making is. That they were viable devices. So that's the only thing that I can go by is what my lab said, not what Kyle said. On its face, it's like, okay, that makes sense. I can't go by what Kyle said. I don't know his expert, blah, 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 blah. But again, remember our our talk about the knowledge and intricacies you start to learn, the people you're friends with inside your office. That's right. Which could include an SABT, which is a special agent bomb technician, which could include the the WMD coordinator in your office or whatever, or your past historical knowledge and training and experience, or the type of cases you've worked, all of these things come into play here. And again, so yes, on its face, he says, I can't go off of what Kyle says. I got to go off what the lab says. Let me, let me, let me add to that. I hit up one of my friends that I used to work on the special operations group with. And I said, I remember being briefed by somebody that the bombs were non-operational. It was an officer safety question. What I asked was, is there any chance that these bombs are legit? And if so, we have to be cautious because it adds a certain layer. If we have an active bomber, it's different than if somebody put out some devices to scare people, a hoax device. And so that is a fundamental officer safety question that I wanted answered. Why? Because I was a team leader for a surveillance team, which means that I had anywhere between six and eight people on any given day that worked surveillance cases with me. And this was one of the cases that we did. Okay, that's part one. Part number two, I reached out to one of my buddies and said, were we briefed on that or did I find it out through other sources? And you're right. I do know SABTs. I know special agent bomb techs. I used to work as a medic for the FBI. I was one of 52 special agent paramedics in the entire FBI. There's 14,000 agents, give or take. I was one of 52. A handful of those are basically scattered around the 56 field offices, and a couple of them are at the headquarters division for HRT. So I'm one of the few guys that has medical experience that could actually deal with a, like an explosive blast. Also, I trained in the military for that sort of thing. So I would go down to the bomb range, which is known as the Charlie Demo range at Quantico, and I would go and just sit around and hang out. Sometimes they go, hey, Doc, you want to uh, push the button? And it's like, okay, sure, fire in the hole, fire in the hole, fire in the hole, boom, and do some electric demo. We do the final shot. I'm familiar with bombs because I went through demo school when I was in the Air Force. I went through demolition training. I've got maybe, I don't know, 100 and change hours, close to 100 hours worth of demo training, which is not a ton. I'm no expert. But I've touched a lot more C4 than a guy who did white collar crimes. I think we could agree on that. Yeah, for sure. And it's 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 far more training and experience than the vast majority of people, even in the FBI. You know, like I didn't have any training even to the level you did. I, it was mostly like hip pocket training in the army. What you know from the guy who went to the, the to the dynamic breacher course or whatever, where he's coming back to the platoon now and saying, "Okay, here's the, some of the cool stuff I learned." and my favorite thing was always uh, these, we call them like door knockers. It was a Copenhagen can or, or whatever your chew of choice was. Right. After it's gone, you leave the lid off. You put a little square C4 in there, a, a little loop-dee of a uh, debt cord, and then you'd hang it on, on doors in Iraq or Afghanistan and poof, you know, blow off the hinge or whatever you need to do. But um, it's coming from like a guy, again, actually, this is, this is the big point I want to make from an officer safety perspective. Go watch the video. So now we know, which Kyle mentioned Steve Baker earlier, we know that the quote-unquote passerby, the quote-unquote good Samaritan, because these are the things we've been told for the last three years, 
was actually a plainclothes Capitol Police officer. We just learned that like a week ago. So, and then all of the people in that vicinity are government officials, most of whom are law enforcement officials. Were any of them moving with any sort of urgency? Any sort of, oh man, there's a, a bomb. There's a bomb like right here in our vicinity. To me, that is one of the other pieces that stands out the most. Like you, they did there's not a bomb behave. There. They did not behave as any reasonable person would with the idea that there was an actual bomb, which we're going to break into in just a second. What I threw on the screen just for uh, for folks to see, if you're watching on the Rumble channel, I highly encourage it. Again, it's rumble.com/slash Kyle Serafin. If you're watching anywhere else, come join us there. If you're seeing us on GOB Actual, there's a couple of people watching on your Twitter feed, so that's oh, always right. fun. I, I stream to your Twitter feed. I hope you don't mind. Uh, some I, of you guys watching mind. over on X, etc., on mine, and you guys can come over to Rumble, like I said, and uh, make sure you've given us the thumbs up on the on the, uh, the video here. Look at this. This is, uh, oops, sorry. I got to go back to the browser piece. So stand by. Look at this, folks. This is the the uh, the tweet that I put up. It's pinned as my tweet right now because it's funny to me. This is just some of my demo training notebook stuff. These are my equations that I was working through when I was building bombs. So <laughs> the fun thing is he asked, what is Kyle's expertise in building bombs? There it is right there. I don't know what Kyle's expertise in bomb making is. It's not high. I'll just admit that right up front. That would be foolish not to. Uh, but it's higher than Steve D'Antuano's. I've used you know, electric, I've done non-electric. That means either fuses or using an initiating device. I've run wires. I've built bombs. I've built improvised explosives. I've built flechette charges to be able to demonstrate, you know, to destroy a TV. We had this huge um, widescreen TV, one of those big projector TVs. You know, they're like eight feet wide and they weigh like 700 pounds. We set one of those things up. We built up like a drain pipe and we had the back of it welded so that it was stuff. We filled that full of C4 and then uh, we sent it like a million nails and what they call flechette rounds. So like that's just a bunch of like small projectiles. We just shattered this damn thing. Um, we hit one of them with a um, <laughs> we loaded the back of a oh, we lost Garrett for a second. We loaded the, the back of a uh, what do you call it? A uh, drainage pipe or a uh, what do you call it? That's not what it's called. A manhole cover. We did a manhole cover with filled the back of it with C4 and punched that into a pipe that was the right size and shot it off like a cannonball. So we did all kinds of fun stuff. I cut steel charges. You know, the, the, it's not a ton of like real special work, but I've done wraps of debt cord and taken down trees, uh, push charges, et cetera, et cetera. I know far more about demolitions than I would say Mr. D'Antuano did. In fact, I actually do have some video of him talking in his own words, which I do want to play. And this is clearly going to go off the rails. We're going to, I, I told you an hour, but it's going to go off the, the one hour mark. I hope you guys don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are watching, we're just going to keep rolling. Um, I love demolitions. And I told somebody this one time, the reason I love demo and the reason why I think it's so interesting is because Garrett, I'm going to try to get you back here. The reason that I love demo so much is because it's almost the pure applied application of force. It's the pure applied physics because you basically overcome almost every single thing out there when it comes to like basic friction and resistance and so on. You have something that is that is operating at a force of like 22,000 feet per second, which is almost instantaneous. You barely can even find that anywhere else. So that's kind of what's going on. Um, it's the, why I think it's so interesting. Let's uh, let's play a little bit of Steve D'Antuano. I want to get you guys a little taste of this, of what he said. This is just a couple of days after January 6th. I want you to know the man that we are talking about in his own words, in his own voice, with his own face. We might as well hear that. And let me get Garrett back on the line here. Good afternoon. I'm Stephen D'Antuano, Assistant Director in Charge of the Washington Field Office of the FBI. And I'm here to provide a quick update on the FBI's activities since the violence and destruction at the Capitol last week. The FBI is quite familiar with large-scale, complex, and fast-moving investigations. We are, we are up to the challenge. As Director Ray says, the FBI does not do easy. To be clear, 
The brutality the American people watched with shock and disbelief on the 6th will not be tolerated by the FBI. The men and women of the FBI will leave no stone unturned in this investigation. Since these events, the FBI has worked hand in hand with the United States Attorney's Office and our law enforcement partners here in DC and across the country to arrest and charge multiple individuals who took part in the destruction. In six days, we have opened over 160 case files, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. The significance of this investigation is not lost on us. This is a 24-7, full-bore, extensive operation into what happened that day. We cannot do our job without the help of the American people. Since our call for tips, videos, and pictures, we have received more than 100,000 pieces of digital media, which is absolutely fantastic. And we are scouring every one for investigative and intelligence leads. We continue to ask for more. If you have information, contact 1-800-CALL-FBI or submit photos and videos to fbi.gov slash U.S. Capitol, that's Capitol with an O. Yeah, that's uh, U.S. Capitol, that's Capitol with an O for all of you uh, idiots out there because he doesn't think you guys understand how to spell things. No big deal. So that's Steve D'Antuano. He was the ADIC, as we said earlier, the, the guy in charge of the entire Washington field office, and he's the guy that's up here talking about whether or not I know what I'm talking about. What's very interesting to me is this, and we lost Garrett for a few minutes. Uh, his connection is shoddy. I don't know what's going on on there, but that's not surprising to us. That's kind of how these things work for us. Um, let's consider this. D'Antuano was the top-level guy. As we said, he's not going to know all the things that are going on in a field office, but he knows what Kyle Serafin is saying in media. Why? Why is that? And this is not just a one-time action. Interestingly enough, later on, unprovoked in this exact interview, okay, he brings up a little bit more. And this, to me, was weird. So what they were talking about is the geofence location warrant. This is the, uh, why couldn't you do a tower dump and find out who this, this particular bomber was? And the answer is actually fairly riveting. What he said is, we did a complete geofence. We have complete data, but not complete. Because there's some data that was corrupted by one of the, the providers. Not purposely by them, right? It was just an unusual circumstance. Huh. Okay. Uh, he says, you know, with our luck in this investigation, that's probably the provider that had the bomber in it. So he goes on and on. And he said, again, you were, you know, I think you were looking, I, I would love to have, I would love to have given you a brief. I would have loved to give you a brief on this stuff right now. These are direct, you know, translations. I really would have, because I think it's important that everyone understands before people like Kyle Serafin and others that are not a case agent have no knowledge of the case and have no knowledge of what happened in that case. He also makes another accusation, by the way, now this is totally unforced error on his part, right? He doesn't, no one asked him to, that there was an individual with a Metro card. My understanding that it was chased down, that there was a lead that was chased down, but he says we didn't chase it down. He has no clue what we did. Okay. You guys have just heard that. So he just said we had, he had no clue what we did. First of all, I was working on that case. Second of all, when you are working on a case like that, you get a big briefing and you can ask any questions you want. And they go back to the case agent and find out, hey, was it a real bomb? No, it wasn't. Why do you care? Because we want to know if our guys are going to get blown up while we're following this idiot around. Okay, that's a relevant thing for what we call officer safety. Again, why would that guy think I don't know what's going on? I, I worked cases like this for years and all we ever did was get all the information we could find out. Len, here's the last piece. You ready? I'm putting it back on the on the screen. He has no clue what we did. Thomas Massey says, but you didn't have a lead on who discovered the second bomb. You didn't see that in the video. 
Here's the best part. One second after saying, I didn't know what was going on. He said, I'm not aware of that, sir. I'm just like, you know, as the ADIC, like over, over, I'm, I'm, I'm up here and everyone else is doing it. So I was never working the case. No shit. I don't know how else to say this. Like, no shit. We know you weren't working the case. You were the ADIC. You have no idea what was going on. And how shameful is that for you? You're out there, and why in the world did they bring my name into that? Why did he bring it up again? He's trying to debunk something that makes me even more suspicious about it was. I've only said it one time that I recall. I said it to, to Darren Beatty in a, in a private conversation, and I'm fairly confident that I discussed it on Dan Bongino's radio show one time. This was not widely discussed, the MetroCard lead situation. But since he brought it up, and since it's in tep uh, this, this deposition, let's lean into that just a little bit, shall we? The MetroCard scenario was, we were given a name. My team was put on it. I've reached out to those members of that team. They have never gone back to this doorstep. We were put outside of the door and said, this is a potential person of interest in the bomb. We said, how have you come to who this person is? We want to know. Are we on a goose chase? Is this legit? Are you just wasting our time? They wasted our time all the time. I got put on so-called terrorist cases sometimes that we would be doing work in the snow when the entire field office was shut down and the government wasn't working because it was too cold outside and there was snow on the ground. And we were out there watching some guy who's supposedly a terrorist. No problem. That's what I signed up for. Unlike the DEI hires, I'm there. I'm there for it. And you know what? We'd find out after doing it for like four or five days, sitting in the cold, no engine running, you know, freezing your butt off, bundled up inside of a truck in the in this snowy parking lot somewhere in northern Virginia, keeping an eye on a door that you think has a terrorist in it who used to be a U.S. translator in the military and apparently has lots of training in war and probably has an AK and all this other kind of stuff that they've kind of briefed up. And then you find out, oops, sorry, wrong door. So when you do it long enough, you start asking, what is the credibility of the information? How many people have actually vetted this info that you are putting me and my team out there to watch this guy and are we likely to get blown up because look we signed up for for the danger end of it that's why we have body armor that's why we have weapon systems we understand but we can be a little bit more cautious if this person is an active bomber we were told explicitly and the team was briefed so not just me but like probably like a half dozen agents plus the supervisor all got the brief not real bombs looked very bomb like those are the actual words that i remember looked very bomb like Okay, fine. Looked very bomb-like. How did you come to this information that we are going to be in front of this guy's door? And the answer is pretty straightforward. And it's also pretty troubling. The answer was this. There was a pipe bomber, supposedly, who dropped off a bomb in front of the RNC. That's the pictures that we've seen lots of, uh, you know, the person in the hoodie. In fact, I think I can throw it up here. It's going to go audio dead for a second, folks. But this is what it looked like. Okay, that's the picture that we all have seen of the so-called pipe bomber, of whatever was going on, that person was apparently tracked, had a cell phone, et cetera, et cetera. The cell phone dump was not fruitful for whatever reason. We'll speculate another time. I don't know. I just, I, we don't have the information, so we can't do anything with it. But we do know is supposedly that person was tracked via CCTV footage, of which there are many in the United States Capitol, and which many of them actually are owned by the federal government. And they were able to track that person to a metro station. That metro station had cameras as well. That metro station camera picked up that person going through on a timestamp through one of the turnstiles. That turnstile had a card. The metro card was apparently tied back to the financial records of whoever bought that card. All right. So that's person A. The person A bought the metro card. The metro card was used. It hadn't been used for a year. This is like explicit stuff that we didn't ask for. It hadn't been used in a year. It was a brand new card that had never been used, but it was sitting dormant for a full year and then used for the first time right then. That person goes through, gets on the metro, gets off in Northern Virginia at a stop. That stop, same exit, ties it, same person coming out with the uh, with the video cam footage. Uses the same metro card to get out. 
Again, person A is the person that bought the Metro card. No idea who the unknown subject is that's coming through. When that person gets out and got into a car, that car had a license plate. That license plate also was the same person. It was registered to person A. So the, the most reasonable person would say, okay, either person A bought the Metro card and picked up someone that they dropped off, girlfriend, friend, boyfriend, family member, take your pick. It doesn't matter. Some relationship to person A, or it was person A and someone else was driving person A's car. Those are the two possibilities. We sat outside the door of person A and we did that for a couple of days and we didn't see person A, but person A was a former veteran, was a veteran of the United States military who had honorably retired. Do we get you back here? I can hear you, Garrett. Now there you are. Back. Give me one sec. Let me refresh your, uh, your screen. <laughs> um, person A was a veteran of the United States military and also most interestingly, I think was uh, working with a, with a current clearance and was also a government contractor at that time. So what's that all about? And I'm not sure why, there you are. Okay, so I can bring you back on the screen. There you are. Hey, Garrett, welcome back. How about that? More internet issues here. Uh, does anybody find that curious? <laughs> uh, I was watching your, your internet. It suddenly just went from like full green bars to just dropping out. So there you go. Anyway, we got you back on here. Um, so we're just talking about this person A, which is apparently the person tied to the MetroCard. You and I have talked about this quite a bit. We get put on that case and we're sitting there on the case looking at this door and then inexplicably, we are told, no, get away from that door. Why don't you come on back to the field office and read bullshit leads, which I'm going to play a little clip of D'Antuano talking about the American people. It's either in this clip or the next one, but we'll play some more of D'Antuano's words. You can see this. Folks, this is, again, Adix Steve D'Antuano, who now works for KPMG, uh, who thinks that Kyle Serafin knows nothing about bombs or the case that he knows nothing about either, apparently. By the way, his, his entire testimony is full of, I don't know, I don't remember, no information. Here he is talking about it just like five, six days after. I think this was on January 11th. I want to stress that the FBI has a long memory and a broad reach. Agents and our partners are on the streets investigating leads, not only here in the D.C. area, but also across the country through the FBI's 56 field offices. So even, like I've said before, so even if you've left D.C., agents from our local field offices will be knocking on your door if we find out that you are part of the criminal activity at the Capitol. But before we do this, this is your opportunity to come forward, as several individuals who have, were involved in Wednesday's riots have done, to volunteer about their participation. In the weeks leading up to the January 6th rally, the FBI worked internally with every FBI field office to ensure they were looking for, that we were looking for any intelligence that may have developed about potential violence during the rally on January 6th. We developed some intelligence that a number of individuals were planning to travel to the D.C. area with intentions to cause violence. We immediately shared that information and action was taken as demonstrated by the arrest of Enrique Tario by the Metropolitan Police Department the night before the rally. Other individuals were identified in other parts of the country and the travel subsequently disrupted. The FBI receives enormous amounts of information and intelligence, and our job is to determine the credibility and viability of it under the laws and policies that govern FBI investigations. We have to separate the aspirational from the intentional and determine which of the individuals saying despicable things on the internet are just practicing keyboard bravado or they actually have the intent to do harm. In the latter, we work diligently to identify them and prevent them from doing so. 
Yeah, good. So he's going to do some thought crime right there, folks. If you're just joining us on Rumble.com, we've seen you here live. It's at Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. If you're watching us on X, great. We appreciate the monthly supporters that have jumped in. Dodge, I saw you, and there was another that was earlier. Thanks, guys. If you want to hit the follow button and you want to hit the subscribe, that actually goes directly to us, and it uh, supports what we're doing. You guys notice, does that guy feel like he's like a terrorist-type uh, hostage? Does he look like he's operating under duress? <laughs> Garrett, you ever seen anybody read off a script so cleanly and so worried? So that's the thing. He's reading off this script, and then in his testimony, he's saying, oh, I don't remember, which, as we know, the FBI loves to hold 1001 over your head. Why doesn't Congress start doing that to these people who say, I don't remember, I don't recall? Well, while he's reading his script, he clearly has a memory and a recollection of what was going on and what was happening. Oh, and guess what? The Internet saved it for all of eternity because a few years later, Kyle Serafin could pull it up so we could hear his own words and you know right there before us and not for nothing too uh while he is getting his you know banking secrecy act training and experience in the fbi there are countless people who are working on terrorism cases and you know other learning about bombs like you were talking about before and then here he is you know in charge and and like you said talking about thought crime and pre-crime and arresting Enrico Tario the day before any crime right. was committed by him. It's like, dude. And, and then he mentions my favorite part. He mentions all of the intelligence that they gather so much. Oh, and he verified something that I have been thinking for a long time, but I could never remember uh, for certain. I've always, I've long thought that we got canvassed prior to January 6th. You did. Uh, we did. And he just said it right there. Yep. We reached out across all the field offices to gather intelligence about what was going to happen on January 6th. Let me drill on that real quickly. What they said was anybody that has a source that they are currently working that is going to be traveling to the national capital region on January 6th, we want to know about it. They tried to like to pool that information. Yep. And I'm and remembering that that, that went was out because my recollection. I've got weird memories for, for emails like yep. that. I remember exactly what yep. every once in a while. So, folks, you need to understand this and I'll just kind of give you kind of the, the brief on it. Um, when, when you're working as an agent, you're, you're handling sources. You may be working other things like I didn't handle sources when I worked surveillance. That wasn't part of my gig. But what we did do is we always got all the all FBI emails that said, hey, all you agents, we're really interested in fill in the blank. Does anybody have a source that looks, you know, uh, Muslim or looks like they're like from a Middle Eastern country that speaks Arabic and has a familiarity with Islam? Like you would get that one. They'd say, oh, does anyone have a source that like knows about construction and has, you know, whatever it is? So they would give you these sort of like what they would call canvases. A canvas is just an email out to everybody. We are looking for a thing. It's an ask. And when they started right before January 6th, we got that ask that went bureau wide. Does anybody have folks that are traveling to the national capital region? Because they were trying to assess who was coming, who was not, what kind of visibility would have in source coverage. And and those are almost always incomplete, by the way. Would you agree? Like, if you're a real yeah. agent, you don't have time for that shit. Right. Oftentimes, you like maybe read the the headline and you're you, like, probably okay, not that, me. This, this isn't relevant to me. And, you, you know, you can it. But uh that's what I've long thought. I was like, I'm pretty sure we got this canvas before January 6th. I do remember the one we got after where they said, hey, if you had a CHS, confidential human source, in the NCR, National Capital Region, uh, between, you know, I don't know, January 3rd and January 10th or January 5th and January 7th, whatever it was, I do remember that one uh, because I was like, oh, well, after January 6th happened and all that, that's when the big push started. And it was almost immediate where, it was either headquarters or WFO sent that that canvas out. But I have a long thought, like, I think we got canvassed before, and I was pretty sure we did. I've never really talked about it because I didn't remember for certain. But him speaking there and then now you saying you remember that email. Yep. Which, of course, of course, of we course did. they did. Of course, we got canvassed for that.
Right. And then the other thing that's interesting, Clay Higgins has been going out there saying there were as many as 200 or 300 FBI sources that were in the crowd and they don't know the exact numbers. And I'm fairly confident that uh, they don't know the actual numbers in the crowd because one, it was an incomplete reporting. So they wouldn't want to go on record and say the actual numbers. And two, it was a huge number. There was a bunch of people that were in there and everybody should think about a source that's going at like, imagine if you have penetrated a group, let's say there's a group of like, you know, 50 guys at the Knights of Columbus meeting. And one of them is an FBI source. You now have 49 people that are subject to FBI scrutiny, and you can actually move the needle with those 49 guys, especially if that person is respected and that person is be able to like has a position of trust. That's the whole point of the source. That's the what we've talked about with the terror factory. That's the way that we've kind of built this up so people can understand that when we discuss the FBI moving the ball, they don't need half of the people to be FBI sources to do a Gretchen Whitmer move. They just need one person that's trusted that everybody likes and everybody wants to do the bidding of, and nobody wants to let that person down. You can have everybody be involved. Like you can move. It's a force multiplier is the word I'm looking for. It's a force multiplier when it comes to building these terrorism cases. So 200 people in the crowd may affect times 50. If the group is that size, imagine what that means for the number of people that are actually like working, not under the direct control knowingly, but under the influence of the FBI. And it could be a lot. And I don't think the FBI planned or made January 6th happen, by the way. I continue to think that's not the case. Yeah, me too. I mean, I know a lot of people think it was like the plan was hatched by the FBI, like a Gretchen Whitmer fednapping hoax. I don't think that that was the case. I didn't see anything that was indicative of that. What I do think is that there were dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of CHSs there. And now, too, think across not just the FBI, but now ATF, DEA, they all have CIs too, uh, DHS. So And DHS doesn't have any of the rules, which is the really big thing. They got none of the damn rules that we have. We operate under a diog and the attorney general guideline, the AGG DOM. So there are things that have to be done when you're in the, in the DOJ that you don't have to do if you're DHS. DHS has a totally different rule book of which I don't know anything about it. So maybe I'll talk to Dan about it today when I'm on the radio show. On top of all of that. Every single one of those CHSs have their own CHS's confidential human source. This is your your federal source. All those people have their own sort of uh, interests and their own benefit that they're looking for. Maybe they're patriotic. Maybe they're looking for money. Maybe they're trying to build cases. Maybe they're trying to do any of this stuff. And the second thing is every single one of those field offices, which we just talked about the stats, they're all looking to get that gold star to get that like, oh, we, you know, we have a big investigation. We're going to bring these people forward. So every single special agent in charge, all 56 field offices have their own independent, you know, horizontally aligned interests in moving counterterrorism cases. So you don't need everybody to be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. What you need is something to happen and a bunch of people seeing the same opportunity at the exact same time, which is what I think I've always argued. It was probably a bunch of co-aligned interests. It's the same as every other government. You don't need government conspiracy if everybody kind of is on the same sheet of music. You just hand the sheet of music and everybody plays. And if they can sync up pretty close, it sounds okay. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a massive number of people that had a very vested interest financially, um, in their careers, and then also in sort of like they think they're doing the right thing because they're uncovering terrorisms because that's what you see. They're, they're a hammer looking for a nail. Exactly. And this is like the whole point you touched on it earlier, like the psyche of, you know, like the, the Knights of Columbus meeting, you got one CHS, the other 49 people respect that person a lot. The FBI and the DOJ, they will try to, to simplify this and say, well, no, that person, they were predisposed to that crime. That's why it's not entrapment. But they leave out all these other important factors about human beings, about about our mental psyche, about uh, our innate desire to be liked and respected and our innate desire to please others. And I know it's a it's a pendulum for 
for all of us as an individual, we're all different uh, to, you know, by degrees. Some people are more people pleasers than others, but oftentimes in these group settings, you don't want to let the group down. And so when the person that everybody likes, who's actually the government informant starts coming up with really bad ideas, everybody's like, yeah, yeah okay, well, well, sure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we will do that because maybe you don't want to let, do the bad you thing. don't want to let down your friend. That's the thing. And, and, and a lot of these folks, they're targeted specifically because they're low information, low IQ, low finances, whatever it may be. Like they're in a position of desperation where they are susceptible to be, uh, influenced into these operations. And that's what we found by reading stuff like Trevor Aronson's terror factory. That's what we've seen with a number of these cases, the Newberg, which uh, the Newberg four, which I talked about the other day, these guys were like down and out destitute, financially bankrupt. And what do they need? They need a friend and they need money. And the FBI, willing to be both of those things and that happens uh -huh. for january 6 too think about the way that things felt at the end of 2020 people were furious there was this instinct that something had gone horribly wrong and i'm sure that we all feel that but we don't have the proof behind it in so much as the fbi has never adjudicated it positively in court because they chose not to that's the, the scary part of it that's the other piece but on top of all that everybody there is feeling this way and then it's like well they just need a nudge that's what your CHS yep. job is. Your job, they don't even have to plan everything. They're like, hey, what if we went to the Capitol and just like kick down the doors? And people are like, good idea, Bob. Yeah, and oh, maybe uh, even if that's though it's your illegal, maybe we should bring a gun or two just in case. You know, and there there you got another crime right there. And it's like, and then that's just and, it. And the and CHS how... is doing this. They're like, ooh, payday, 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 payday. Because, yep. C, because CT cases pay big time. You, What's the biggest right. CT case uh, payoff you've ever heard of? I want to say it was around 200K. I, I, I want to say it was that Six and it figures, was one it, it was a, it was a case in Kansas that I it's it's a public case I learned of it shortly after I got there it was it was getting wrapped up like sentencing was coming I went to the sentencing hearing for my um probation manual I forget what's it called new agent handbook yeah. but uh yeah I want to say that guy got paid six figures for that if I remember correctly I it's, could it's, be wrong it's not out if of I, line yeah, I think the most I've ever heard of anyone being paid was like two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. But but CI and CT sources, your national security sources, they can make big money anywhere from like mid five figures all the way up into the you know low sixes, and it's all paid in cash and it's all deniable. It's all handed over sometimes in a briefcase, sometimes in an envelope. This is not a check from the U.S. government. This is like like cold hard cash. Count it all out. Give it over to them. You sign it. I sign it. Your name is you know your name is uh, Dothraki. So you sign Dothraki. And now the FBI has paid Dothraki two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And Dothraki is not actually good Dothraki. It's actually Garrett O'Boyle. It's it's GOB actual. And so mm, whoever the hell and that is, they don't go after anybody. Think of some of those. Um, the so CHS would know this because oftentimes a case agent or a handling agent will will say yeah you know they're one they're going to pay you along the way if you're working on a case yep. like an active case you're going to get paid along the way which we saw in the the Whitmer thing i think it was 50 or 75,000 dollars for that and that was like oh, a crap man. op and that's a that's a lot like that's more than yeah that's a lot but so yeah you're getting paid along the way and then because yeah oftentimes in the write up you're saying oh this person wants to do the right thing this is why i want to open them as a source but in reality, they do just want a payday. They may not tell you that. They may not come up blatantly and tell you that. And then, as an agent, you're gonna you're gonna write it in in a fashion that is indicative of like, yeah, maybe this guy needs some money, but uh, he also just wants to do the right thing. So let's have him as a source. He's got this information that he already brought to us even before he was open as a CHS. And then the FBI is hard up for numbers because it's a it's a policy that every agent has at least one CHS. And so they just want it's it's part of their Intel op. They just want Intel. So they mandate that you have at least one source. And then most people that, that I knew had at least one. 
uh, especially if you're actively working cases. And then an agent is going to say, hey, we're working this case. We're almost there. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. And at the end of the day, you're going to get an even bigger payday than I already did. And then now let's put it in the context of January 6th. Okay, say you got a CHS and you're working DT and they're part of a militia in Kansas or, you know, wherever. And they say, hey, yeah, my group, you know, we got together a couple of weeks ago and yeah, we're all kind of bummed out that Donald Trump lost, but we're going to, we're going to go, we're talking about going to the Capitol. And then you as the agent say, that's a great I'd, idea. I'd, I'd love to pay and for that I will trip. Pay. That's it. I will pay you to go. I will cover your your expenses. I will basically give you a per diem. And hey, you know what? I'll throw in a two grand on top of it just just because you're going to bring me information when you come back. Quick example of that happening in that not that setting. I had a buddy that uh, recruited a source and he was working on outlaw motorcycle gangs and so on. And so they were like, oh, um, you know, do you want to go to Sturgis? Because that's a good place to go see what's going on with outlaw biker For gangs. Sure. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, like I don't have a bike. And they bought him a bike. A cheap one, oh. but like one that was appropriate for a station, four or five thousand bucks, and gave him walking around money. And they sent him in there to go report on what was going on at Sturgis with these outlaw motorcycle gangs. This is standard practice. And of course, he kept the yep. bike. The bike's all written off, you know, like nobody knows about it. Um, the, the cash is his to do whether he spends it or not or whether he steals things. So we're talking about big time money, potentially. I mean, four or five thousand dollars. That was a criminal case. That's why it was low. You know, five thousand mm -hmm. bucks for a bike is what they can afford for criminal because who gives a shit? But when we're talking about real big, you know, national security priorities where the big where the big piece is and then the other thing is is all those uh those folks do you know that there is actually a metric that says how fast you address leads in your office mm, i didn't know that but of course of course there is i mean that makes complete sense to me so folks we talked about a lead earlier i'm about to drop something on you guys that's going to change your mind about some things number one the way that you handle leads the speed at which you handle leads bookmark this spot here so what are we in um we're at about 75 minutes in the way that you handle or the speed that you handle your leads will affect the way that your bonus structure works. If you're a senior executive, like someone, I don't know, like the ADIC in charge of Washington field office. Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. When I was sitting on front of that door, watching for the potential pipe bomber with the Metro card connection, which by the way, that is a slam effing dunk when it comes to how close you can get to somebody and how good the intel is on that. As I've said, I've regularly been on cases where they were like, this is a person, we think they might be of interest, we saw them coming out of this door, here's a 10-year-old driver's license photo, they drive a white car with four doors and they live on this street. They're, they, they, you know, they're, they're couch surfing or they're, they're like a not on the lease. And you go, got it. And then you choke off that area, choking off is putting people on every single exit and we watch and we would find those people, I would say, Nine times out of 10 is a light number. It might be more than that. We would regularly find people with no information. We had no business finding them because we either were lucky or good, probably a little bit of both, and we always found them. We got pulled off the door of this slam dunk connection that was very interesting, and Steve D'Antuano doesn't know all the details on. He doesn't know why. How come he doesn't say, oh, yeah, we ran that guy down and he was actually clean? Because he doesn't know, and he just doesn't want to make that. He probably wasn't even briefed on this. Let me drop this on you about why we got pulled off that door, in now my opinion. I've, I've changed my opinion about why. I used to think it was about something more nefarious. It's never nefarious. It's always stupidity. Check this out. As offensive as a statement can be, the FBI cannot open an investigation without a threat of violence or alleged criminal activity. However, when that language does turn to a call of violence or criminal activity, the FBI is able to undertake investigative uh, action. And in this case, we had no indication information was linked to any specific person, but this is a matter of an online discussion. This information was immediately disseminated through a written product and briefed through our command post operations to all levels of law enforcement. 
part and parcel of our investigation into violent actors is the fact that we continue to gather intelligence that will aid in our ability to disrupt possible future violent activity. Suffice it to say, we are leveraging our relationships with federal, state, and local law enforcement partners, using our tools at our disposal to find and bring everyone involved in last week's criminal activity to justice. They got over 100,000 leads sent in. They got 100,000 leads in the first week, y'all. And we got pulled off because they needed to address those leads, and it was an all-hands-on-deck. Every single person needed to address the leads because a slow addressing of the leads equals a red or a yellow, not good enough metric on the what they call the uh, was IPM, the uh, Integrated Program Management System and the Threat Response Matrix. Okay, all of those things needed to be addressed, lest Steve D'Antuano lose his bonus. And the bonuses are like thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year. It's like a big chunk of their their compensation. Otherwise, they don't make much more than somebody who's just a special agent in charge or someone who's just a GS fifteen. You know, they probably are in the, like the two hundred thousand dollar range, like two hundred two hundred five, something like that. So this is a big deal. That's you know, it's twenty percent of your of your overall pay, up to twenty percent, up to twenty five percent. That's why these guys are so incentivized to handle leads. And they got a black swan event where a hundred thousand leads came in in a week. And Matt Taibbi has reported over 500,000 leads came in through the system of eGuardian, which we touched on earlier. All of those things incentivized this guy, I believe, to pull us off what would have been otherwise a decent lead. And I mentioned earlier, military contractor, active clearance, uh, retired chief master sergeant of the Air Force was the person that was in there. So high level guy. Turned out he also had uh, dark colored skin for whatever that's worth. I don't know what it means. I don't know. And I'm not I'm not accusing anybody of anything specific. I just know that we were briefed specifically on all those those factors. And why did that not get run down aggressively? Why did they not say this is a person of interest? Why did they not let me just go talk to the guy? Because I was like, look, I may not be the case agent on this, but I'm a lot less of a retard than most of you all, which uh, <laughs> Garrett, would you agree? Is that is that true? Yes, that's a that's a charitable statement, even to our most of our former colleagues, I would say, like there's a lot I was of retards. Often, I was like, oftentimes shocked at just the inability to to to, to talk to people, to, to question them. Even just at the door, like just like, be a regular dude. I like, I, and I make this this joke all the time, so you'll appreciate it as well. But like, look, you knock on the door. It's like, um, uh, hello, how are you doing? And the person says, Hey, you know, uh, I'm I'm uh, Nick. I'm I'm from the FBI. And I would always role play with these people, and I'd say, Hi, Nick. What can I do for you? And they would go, Well, um, you know, your name came your across name. my desk, right? Did you ever hear that at the uh -huh. academy? Your name came across my desk. I don't know where they teach this thing. Yeah, I I don't like do they do they get it from like some uh some old timey FBI movie where like you actually do get a name to your desk like the clerk brings it and says here's your lead because because yeah. the lead your done name's on paper. not coming across the desk you right. know <laughs> so I would always joke with them and I would always catch them up I would say listen um when you say that my name came across your desk do you have like a conveyor belt of names and you just pick one or is it like a ticker like on Wall Street that just runs across and you just decide which one is yours like how do you know that my name is the one that's supposed to go across your desk and what are you supposed to do with it how does it come across your desk and the guy's just like can we can we time out seraphin yeah we yes. can time out why and 30 then, second time out or full they're like i don't <laughs> know the answer to this question i don't know <laughs> because you don't know how i would respond to that because I we're, mean... we're hiring social retards that look good on paper but in, in reality the fbi is actually not even supposed to look at the interview for like person ability and the ability to connect with another human being they're supposed to actually just ignore all that and just take your words at their face value so that they don't make it about personality because God forbid you have people with a personality that are capable of going in, like, you know, inspiring trust in the citizenship that they're out there trying to protect theoretically. So this is the real problem. And anyway, I, I was like, let me go bump the guy. 
A bump, for you who don't know, it's an unofficial move where you just tap somebody and you go, um, you go, hey, uh, I, I bump people. I used to do it for fun when we were on surveillance, like whether they said we could do it or not. I would just go size up our our, our subjects. So I bumped a guy in Albuquerque one time and I'm talking to him. He's in an ammo. He's in a sporting goods store looking at ammo. And I'm like, but kind of bumped, literally bumped into him. Huge guy. And I bump into him and I'm like, I'm like, what's up, man? And he was like, oh, I was like, I was like, you looking for five, five, six. And he was like, yeah, I'm not sure if I can use two, two, three, you know, in my five, five, six. And I'm like, yeah, you can use two, two, three in the five, five, six. You don't want to use the five, five, six and two, two, three. It's a chamber pressure issue. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. So you would just like bump into him and have that quick little conversation. And then you get a little idea. It's like, okay, well, he's, he's talking about his weapon. That confirms some of the stuff we know about the weapon he bought. You know, we know the caliber now that's confirmed based on the paperwork. That's all really good stuff. And then you just see how they are. And I'm like, uh, you know, you know, are you, are you buying small or are you buying bulk, man? And he's like, oh, dude, I'm looking for bulk. I'm trying to find, you know, they only have boxes of 150. And you're like, yeah, that's just a training box, man. That's one range session. And he was like, right. Yeah. You know, just regular dude stuff that you do because you're not scared of human beings. I asked to go do this to this uh, to this Air Force guy because I was in the Air Force short time, whatever, four years. But I wanted to go talk to him. I at least have that connection. All I need is a touch point and we can have a yeah. conversation. It's right. like, look, bro, uh, I'm from the FBI. I want to talk to you about something. You're a person of interest in an ongoing case, and, and I think you want to talk to me. And and look, I always give people the choice. It's like, you can tell me to F off, and I won't take it personally, too. And they wouldn't let me go do it for obvious reasons, because they don't know who's out in the field, and they don't know anything about anybody. Like, they never trust anybody in the the counterterrorism guys. Like, they hate talking to their subject, because then they would know that we're investigating them. It's like, good, yeah. we're in America, assholes. I'm a secret agent. Yeah. The, this is the thing, too. They tell you all the time. We're hiring you for your character. We're hiring you for your integrity. We're hiring you for your experience. And then you get there and it's like, oh, they don't actually care about any of that. And then I want to know a lot of our former colleagues. And, and look, it's not it's not all, but it's it is a lot. And like coming from my background, especially when I think of like my time as a police officer, I'm like, oh, no wonder the FBI gets the rap that it gets among local departments and, and, and state. They're a bunch of nerds. Yeah, it was my it was my always statement. Whenever I was dealing with locals, they'd be like, I'd be like, oh, you're not what I expected when the feds showed up. And I'd go, yeah, because they're a bunch of nerds. And then everybody would laugh except the one fed who was there, who was my partner. And they would mm -hmm. always look at their shoes and be like, I don't want to be a nerd. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I would I would I don't know how I've I don't know how many times I said I, I would lead with Special Agent O'Boyle with the FBI. Uh, I used to be a cop. You know, like, or e even Instant on the phone, report. if I was calling, it was always, I was always doing that because I was like, I know it's going to hopefully help them realize like, Hey, we're not, cause you never know what you're going to get. Are you going to get that nerd who doesn't know what he's doing and shouldn't be working the case who doesn't know how to talk to anybody. Right. Or are you going to get someone who does, who does know what they're doing? I called a lady one time and I'm, and my, and my uh, statement was as follows. I called her up. I said, hey, I'm, I'm Special Agent Kyle Serafin. I'm calling you from the FBI. If you'll give me 60 seconds, I'd like to make a case to you. And if you're interested, talk to me. And if not, you can just hang up. And I, I won't take it personally. And she was like, go ahead. And then I told her. I was like, here's what's going on. I watched this interview that you did um, you know, with a police officer. If I were you, I would also be concerned. I want to try to allay your fears and share some information with you. I'm here to, to try to make this better. And then you might have some information that could help me. Are you willing to talk to me? She was like, yeah, go ahead. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Appreciate it. I was like, I want to, um, I want to tape the interview. Are you okay with that? I don't want to get any facts wrong and I'll send you a copy of it if you want. That'd be great. Putting on my recorder. Beep. Let's do it. I, that's how I roll. It's, it's straight yeah. transparency and you don't have to it, talk it, to it, me, but like, that's because I'm it, not a weirdo. It works. It works so much better than, uh, let me go to my SSA and try to get approval for like, uh, what's it called when you record surreptitious, surreptitious you know, recording. Yeah. And it's like, just go just go talk to the person, 
the vast, vast majority of the time, that's that's all you're going to need to do. It's so dumb. Uh, I'm going to throw this back up on the screen here. I think this is the right one. Guys, one more time. I'm just going to tell you, Steve D'Antuano, he doesn't want any conspiracies, right? Right in the middle of the page, we're, we're quoting here. I don't want any conspiracies, right? To my knowledge, it wasn't corrupted, you know, but that could have been good information that we don't have right now. He's talking about the uh, the data dump. They don't want any conspiracies. So maybe there are no conspiracies. It's just stupid people doing crappy work. Uh, George Hill dropped something on me the other day that the uh, police officer that was killed after um, after the Boston Marathon bombing, the 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 guy who was on the, the college campus, he was killed because the FBI did a data dump and they got the azimuth wrong. They did a 180 degrees of what it should have been. So rather than picking up the people that would have been in the area, they picked up the people behind it and it set them back 12 oh. hours. That was cast going back to like, you know, 2013. Cast is actually really good right now. I knew guys that were cast. They were super professional. In fact, one of them, one of the national resources and assets for cast, which is the cellular analysis survey team, if my memory serves, uh, but they basically are the cell phone exploiting team. They, one of them was in my office and he was a super squared away guy. I mean, really cared about his trade, was always going to different trainings, you know, had all the tools on his desk, was like a total, you know, gear nerd in that way, had the cell bright, had all the different charges, always was working cases, busted his ass, super functional. And so the idea that they would have just dicked up the single most important terroristic event of the day makes zero sense to anybody. And also the fact that Steve D'Antuano was paying attention to Kyle Serafin's interviews and talking to Dan Bongino on the radio one time and not what his own case agents were doing is wildly weird. It makes me think that everything he said was probably a lie. I don't trust that guy for what I can throw him at. And you just saw him. He just read right off the page. Like someone else wrote yeah. that statement for him. He didn't write yeah, that. Right. Yep. Yeah, that that's for sure. It's like, oh, this guy did not write this. Somebody wrote this. This is cannon fodder that they shoved down his mouth and said, go read this verbatim, nothing else. Do what you're told. And he did. And now he's, you know, underwhelmingly performing at his new position in the in the in the free world, which he probably landed at because of other connections from the FBI. But um it is bizarre. Think of all of the things, and we probably haven't even touched on every single one yet regarding this January 6th pipe bomb. Did I just lose you? Oh, Garrett just crapped out on his connection. So we'll get him back on here. No big deal, folks. I do want to actually uh, get yeah. closer. <laughs> are you coming? <laughs> Garrett, are you coming back to me? I'm back. I'm back. I was, I don't know. I was in the middle of saying something. But... Yeah, you were. And you know what's even weirder is that uh, I'll bring you up on here, but you might disappear on me. Uh, your connection now looks red again. So uh, you've lost. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you're getting cheated out of your signal. Somebody has decided they didn't like what you're about to say. That's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Typical. But uh, yeah, he's underwhelmingly but, but, performing. Yeah, he's not it's, bringing it's, in clients. He got that job because he was finding a soft landing. For sure. And now it's been three years plus that there's no information. You know, think of how eager the FBI was to elicit help to find granny behind the velvet rope when this should be the. I knew it. I knew that was going to go away. All right. It should be 100%. It should be the 100% focus of the FBI squads that deal with counterterrorism in the Washington field office. Theoretically, we have someone who is a bomber that dropped indiscriminate bombs. Why did they stop after two bombs, by the way? Why did they know on that day that there were only two bombs? There was one. There was another. Name me another bomber that has thrown one bomb out. Look at the Unabomber. Did it for years. Look at the guy in Austin. Was sending bombs at an increasing rate. You know, he was sending out like bomb, bomb, bomb. And then it was like two a day. And they were blowing stuff up until he actually blew himself up because they closed in on him. Because that's how you find things. You you assume that somebody that is going to bomb one place will bomb another. Whatever they say when you're a, a police officer, you're in law enforcement, they say if you ever find a gun, look for the second gun. Because Two is one, one is none. Classic military mentality. If you're going to look for something, go find the other one. You should do an exhaustive search. Did they sweep the entire city looking for bombs? All the political places? I don't think so. 
I think they stopped at two. In fact, they really stopped at one. There was one bomb that was left outside of the RNC. They set up a cordon and a protected area, and then they stopped doing that because the second time when it was outside of the DNC, where Kamala Harris was in the building, y'all. Kamala Harris is in the building, and what do they do? They just moved on. They didn't even stop children from crossing the street. They had a cop who apparently, he was an off-duty police officer from Capitol Police, saw a bomb, went and reported it, and went back and took a flipping picture of it with his cell phone instead of like running for cover and hoping to get a bomb suit on. That does not make sense to anybody. All of this stuff is crazy. Dan Bongino has called it Plan B. The question is, what was Plan A? Plan A might have been the first freaking bomb. The first bomb was basically discovered right at a time just before the Capitol uh, you know, barricades were breached. What if that was the diversion to pull people away and Plan B was actually just uncovered too soon? Maybe that Capitol Police officer screwed up Plan B. Which could have been, you know, in case they don't go into the Capitol, then we can always, uh, you know, go and flip out about Kamala Harris. It is what it is. Um, unknown. I'm going to be talking about it with Dan later today. If you guys want to check it out, it's going to be on the radio show. That's at 2.05 Eastern time. You guys could totally go there. Um, if you're tuning in just now, definitely watch the previous stuff. We lost Garrett O'Boyle again. He's had uh, a solid connection until right up in the time when he starts talking solo. So who knows what it is? Garrett's in the chat right now, and he's giving you the WTF. I don't know what it means. It doesn't matter. We're coming up in the end here anyhow. So let me go and do one more story. I promise this in the show notes, and I do want to at least cover down on it. Um, this is something, another piece, the FBI overstepped it bound. When the Ninth Circuit... When the Ninth Circuit tells you something's wrong, something's probably wrong. This is the Ninth Circuit uh, Appeals Court. They are handling this, this case that has been going on in the safety deposit boxes. Some of you guys may know what we're talking about here. The FBI overstepped its constitutional authority when agents searched hundreds of safety deposit boxes without warrants. This is reporting coming from Sean Musgrave. It's coming from The Intercept. You know I like going to The Intercept because they're a little bit on the political left at least the very minimum, it says the Ninth Circuit compared the searches to the abuse of power that led to the adoption of the Fourth Amendment in the first place. Yes, because the issue is the government is supposed to only search things on probable cause that there may have been a federal crime committed. That's the only way that the uh, the federal government is supposed to go. In March of 21, the FBI raided a private place, a private business known as U.S. Private Vaults, a safe deposit company in Beverly Hills, California. The, the company marketed its services as being anonymous and discreet and full of privacy which apparently, according to this article, appealed to gambling rings and drug operations, but also to people who just didn't want a safety deposit box somewhere else, and they just wanted to anonymize it, as is their right as Americans. You do have a fundamental right to not have anybody get into your damn business. The FBI sees millions of dollars in cash from the safety deposits, plus a mixture of jewelry, personal effects, and documents such as wills and prenuptial agreements did not give them back. The court ruled... The FBI search flagrantly violated the Fourth Amendment rights. And in October of 22, the trial judge ruled that there was no Fourth Amendment violation. This is a big problem. The Ninth Circuit of Appeals just unanimously reversed. A unanimous appeal uh, on the Ninth Circuit says that the lower court's decision was wrong. The court ruled that the FBI exceeded the bounds of the warrant obtained prior to the search warrant, which explicitly did not authorize the criminal search or seizure of any boxes. The real problem is, and this is the best quote from it, if there was any remaining doubt regarding whether or not the government conducted a quote-unquote criminal search or seizure, that is put to rest, or that, that doubt is put to rest by the fact that the government has already used some of the information from inside those boxes to attain additional warrants to further its investigation and begin new ones. What does that mean to you guys? What it means is, is that we're talking about a federal government that has absolutely no problem stomping on the Constitution, and particularly the FBI, sort of the attack dog of this situation. The FBI went in, they opened up, Based on what they believed was probable cause initially, they only had access to a couple of boxes. They opened all the boxes. And when they opened those boxes, they turned around and said, well, now that we're here, we might as well run some additional criminal cases. That's not OK. That is the opposite of what our Constitution says. That is fruit of the poisonous tree. Those people need their stuff back. There are like people who lost their life savings in there. 
cash, which you're allowed to have in this country, you would think your personal property is not the business of the federal government unless it becomes the federal government's business, and it was not. It was not in this case. It's atrocious. And the people who went along with it, they should be ashamed of themselves. They should become whistleblowers as well. They can reach us anonymously. You can go to kyleserafin.com. You can just email me from there. Do it from a library computer. I don't care. Come out here and tell us what's going on. We know some of the stuff. There's a lot more going on. We know that there's more information. If you're a bomb tech and you want to push this out there, go ahead. Jump on. kyleserafin.com. Contact me. It goes right to me. You guys can email me right there. It looks like a chat feature. Okay? You can, you can access it from any public computer. You can give me a way to get back to a Proton Mail or whatever you want. Whatever feels good. Or you can just drop things anonymously and I'll run it against my sources. Let's start pushing back against this evil. We are starting this off with William Travis. We are in the Alamo, but the upside is, is the Alamo, even though they 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 did not get the victory, they got the death part of that, of that cheer, they ended up getting something more important, which is that they had the Battle of San Jacinto and they were able to finally win it all. The Texas Revolution was successful, but there were some losses. And some of us lost our, our careers. No big deal. That's fine. Well, if that's the Alamo, let's let's go on and win the, the major battles. Let's go on and win the war against this. I think there's a lot of points of light. I think this stuff is undermining government narrative, and there's a lot of evil that is going to be exposed. This year is going to be lit. You guys are going to want to make sure you're watching The Blaze uh, a little bit later on today with my buddy Steve Baker. You got to get that done. Make sure you are watching his Twitter account, which is going to be doing it, but it's uh, TPC4USA. He's dropping bombs on these people, uh, figuratively speaking, because we're talking about literal bombs that apparently were viable, according to the FBI, but we know that they were not because, um, watch this afternoon. I'm fairly confident we're going to start seeing some of the proof that these things were BS to begin with, which means either he didn't know or he was lying. Steve D'Antuano, the ADIC in charge of the Washington field office, I'd like to see some of these guys held accountable for some of their, their misdeeds and their misstatements to Congress. Congress needs to grow a set of balls and they need to start prosecuting people that lied to them because there's some serious uh, problems with the candor under oath. And anybody who's done this should be disqualified from their security clearance based on their lifestyle choices and based on their personal integrity, which is what we just heard they are getting awfully lax about over at the FBI Academy. By the way, I did have somebody who works down in a position to know about the FBI Academy said they have the record smallest, the record smallest classes that they've ever had, and they are incompetent to boot. So now we are getting 50% of the size of the classes that I went through with, there were about 200 agents and analysts going through when I went through in 2016. We are now catching like less than 100 or around 100, which is a really precipitous drop. And Chris Ray, if you guys remember, Chris Ray said we have record numbers. Did he say low record numbers? I wonder if that's what he meant. Wouldn't it be interesting to find out if he said that they had record numbers at the Academy, but they just meant shitty record numbers, like the lowest numbers they've ever had for this. That would be a real interesting spin on it, wouldn't it? In any case... Uh, record numbers. These guys always play games with words. The word viability about the bomb. I guarantee they're playing with that. We'll talk about it more on Dan Bongino's show. I look forward to it. All of you that have been watching, if you give us a thumbs up, we really appreciate that. Uh, make sure that you've hit the like button here on Rumble. Really grateful for all the folks that have joined us for the live chat. It's really fun. I appreciate you guys. I've been watching some of it. I'll go back and read and I'll stick around in the live chat after we shut down the stream. Um, let's do a couple of quick thank yous out there. Once again, Garrett Boyle, my buddy, he's gotten kicked off the stream, but there it is. Go to the merch store. It's the-suspendables.com. Again, the, don't forget the dash-suspendables.com. Suspendables with an S on the end of it. Uh, you guys can check out the merch. You can check out the shirts that we're wearing. Garrett was wearing a different one. He was wearing the power shirt, which is on the top, uh, let's see, top right-hand side. He was wearing it in red. Good looking shirt. It's got some biblical verses on there. We were working on some beanies and stuff like that. It looks like some of the stuff is even sold out. Buy the Ranger panties if you guys are looking for freedom. If you're a man and you've never worn Ranger panties, check those out. You'll love it. Um, 
They are my favorite. I wear them every single day. I wear Ranger panties every single day since 2009. For whatever that's worth, now you guys can't unknow that. Skies out, thighs out is the cheer when you put them on, and uh, you will also feel that sense of freedom. Uh, lastly, let's go ahead and wrap it up with a five-star review coming in from Apple. This is a good one for today. It says, uh, this is Willamena. That's a cool name. Willamena. Coming in from January 10th, we'd be friends. Every time I listen to the show, I find myself asking why I don't listen more often. It's very high quality. I think we'd be friends with Kyle and his wife if they lived in our hometown and went to our parish. Yep, the odds are yes. You know why? Because if you go meet your neighbors, you'll find out that most people are people. That is the cheer of this show. It may actually become one of our little hashtags, make people people again. Every single person, whether they think that there are enemies out there that are lurking in America, what they realize is that we have a good neighborhood. Our neighbors are good people. That's because all the people are pretty much like that. There's a very fringe minority of people that are willing to do evil. Mostly, they're decent. And if you got to know them, you could probably talk them out of doing some of this evil shit that they are involved in. You know, Most there... people are far-right extremists. <laughs> Is my man back? You want to say a goodbye to everybody? Oh, you, you didn't even show back up. Hold on a second here, Garrett. Let's see if I can refresh you. What a turn. I don't even need to show me. I can say goodbye just... <laughs> Like from the ether. <laughs> God, that's funny. Uh, it's I, all it's all bizarre that this all went down. Like like you keep disappearing on me. I can, I, and it, it totally was my internet. Like uh, I I don't know what the problem is. Uh, I'll probably get cut off again. But um, not not really sure. We're not having bad weather today. But but yeah. No, thanks for having me. Sorry for my my lackadaisical internet connection or maybe we're getting messed with like we were with the AT and T van a while back. But I got knows? you back on. I got skills, man. I can do this while we're just talking. <laughs> I mean, I I am curious about um, all of these internet issues I seem to have almost, at least lately, almost every time I come on with you. It's it's very bizarre. But hey, the process is the punishment, so even my brain starts to wander a little bit here. But no, thanks for having me. I saw you plug the store. I, I appreciate it, and uh, I know you plugged it yesterday with Owen Schroyer, so uh, it's cool. I've been, I woke up this morning, and there were like eight orders, and yesterday, just yesterday, I was all caught up. I was telling Heidi, my wife... Um, Hey, I'm all caught up. I got everything caught up, but uh, it's picking back up again. So we appreciate it. It keeps me busy. But yeah, it was a, it was a good chat today. I, I love talking this stuff and and just hopefully bringing awareness uh, to some of the inner workings of how things were done in the FBI when we were there and just some of the shadiness that continues to happen and what we see. It sure does. Uh, folks. From me and from GOB Actual, thanks so much for watching the Kyle Serafin Show. We look forward to seeing you again tomorrow for Friendly Friday. We'll bring, bring Steve on in the same way. We'll see if he gets some internet issues. That'll be fun. I can see that Garrett is actually in the yellow, so he's probably going to drop out of send. Um, let's, let's shut it down. But thanks so much for joining us. Uh, God bless you. Be safe out there. And go meet your neighbors. You can do this. We can, uh, we can make America America. We can make people people again. Let's do it. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.